Warning, this podcast was produced by two men who still think that swearing is both big and clever. As a result, it contains quite a lot of it. Therefore, this podcast is not suitable for children, unless they're really fucking cool children. Hey folks, this is Dave Fensom with another episode of Pop Collaborate. And listen, uh, welcome along. Sorry it's been a little while since the last one. Um, this week we are going to be talking about David Bowie's 1993 album Black Tie White Noise. Um, will we enjoy this? Will we not? Uh, well, have a listen. Find out. On a more somber note, I want to say that this episode is dedicated to uh, the memory of a very, very good friend, uh, Phil Gerrard. Phil Gerrard was a stand-up comedian um, and podcaster. If you've never listened to his fantastic podcast, Crash Bang Wallop, uh, that he does with his friend Phil Lucas, uh, it's a podcast about disasters. It's an incredible body of work. Uh, Really, really one of my favourite podcasts that I've ever listened to. Um, Phil was just a natural comedian, uh, one of the funniest people I've ever met. He supported people like Angela Barnes and Ramesh Ranganathan out on tour, uh, wrote for shows like uh, Mock the Week and quite a few others. Uh, And he was just one of the nicest people I've ever met. The first night I ever booked a comedy night, I booked Phil to headline. He should have been uh, one of the biggest comedians in the country. Uh, There was a huge outpouring on social media from comedians that have worked with him, uh, everyone from the top right down. Uh, just he was just a lovely guy, man, and uh, a, a, like a multi-talented man. He's a talented painter, uh, artist, musician, uh, huge film buff. Uh, did some uh, stuff on the Devil Times Five podcast. Was an enormous Kubrick fan. His favorite film was The Shining. Um, he leaves behind his wife Becca, who's a, f- a friend of ours. And yeah, I mean, all I can say is fuck cancer. Uh, you know, it was it was a rare form of cancer that took him from us. Um, it's just a fucking heartbreak, man. So this episode, for what it's worth, is dedicated to the memory of Phil Gerrard. He's not the only um, person we've lost to cancer. We we also mentioned during the episode uh, our good friend Matt Davis, who recently lost his uh, battle with cancer as well. Um, if you uh, listened to the Sugar episode, you remember that was dedicated to him. But yeah, fuck cancer is very much the message uh, of this podcast. Um, and anyway, I'm not going to uh, spaff much on... Um, it seems a little bit kind of crass to do any self-promotion after that so uh yeah uh, please enjoy this episode as ever let us know on the socials what you think of it and we'll be back with you as soon as possible take it easy guys see you soon Yes, people, welcome here to another episode of Pop Collaborate and Listen. My name is Dave Fensom. And I'm Christa Greer. We're joined, as always, by Waffles the Dog. Waffles. Uh, oh, he didn't even look up when you said his name. He doesn't give a shit, mate. He's just been oblivious. He's been uh, running around after his ball. He's quite tired. He's just yeah. uh, looking for some fuss yeah, and yeah. to avoid banjo. Give you a little bit of fuss. 
There you go. Um, so yeah, um, welcome back. Sorry for the uh, delay. Mostly, uh, as always, my fault. I've had a little operation. Uh, mm. Had to have uh, had to have cataract surgery because I'm very young and vital. <laughs> exciting for you. It really well. was, man. It fucking. I I would not recommend it to anyone. Well, unless they've got cataracts. Well, no. I mean, you have to have it when you have cataracts. Sure. Yeah. Then, yeah. then definitely. Oh, no, do I wouldn't have do it for it. fun. No. Yeah. I mean, mm. recreationally, don't do. It. I mean, even oh. if you've got cataracts, think twice. I'd be honest with you. Okay. Fucking lying down there because they don't give you a, a they didn't give you a general anesthetic mm. or just awake that's such bullshit as someone comes towards you with what was described as a razor blade towards your eyeball to, towards, towards your eyeball and into your eyeball and of course your reflex on that is uh, to shut your eye and not look at it but you can't oh, do Jesus that Jesus Christ um, so no, yeah it's just horrible to think about horrible mate gave you a lovely bit of cold morphine though cold morphine <laughs> in the morning made me feel very days. very nice at least it was cold it oh, was, nice summer's day. It's fucking want. weird though, man, because they put it into your vein, mm. um, and because it's, it's just come out of the fr- and you feel it. For, the first thing it does is it got completely numbs your hand right. from the inside out, which just feels Ooh. Ooh. very unusual. Strange. Like you know, it makes you feel like if you've ever seen Terminator Two, just oh yeah. yeah, yeah, okay. And then you just feel it kind of willow patterning its way up your arm. Fucking right, hell. and you're there going, oh, what's going on? And it's, it's it feels really horrible. And then it just hits the center of your heart, mm. obviously. And then just all of a sudden, it just kind of, as it hits that, it's almost instantaneous that you just feel it kind of, you just like kind of fall into a cloud of cotton wool. Right. Um, but yeah, I mean, Weird. They, but it, it wasn't enough to stop me feeling really fucking freaked out. I actually, I, I said, look, I feel quite panicky, and they gave me more. Oh, nice. And then That's I was obviously still twitching around a bit more because they gave me a third lot as well. So I was get in, mate. But anyway, so that's that's why there's been a bit of a break, plus mm. other bits and pieces. Anyway, so we are back today for a uh, uh, for our first regular episode in quite a while. Obviously, the last one was mm. the Monster Magnet yeah, episode. Special, Thank you yeah. for your feedback uh, on that one. But this is back into the year 1993. Yeah. Uh, we are whereabouts are we in the year now? We are into April, so uh, we're looking at the week starting the 11th of April 1993. Mm-hmm. And for one week, David Bowie was at number one with his album Black Tie White Noise. Wonderful. Okay, so yeah. obviously this is uh, David Bowie had uh, a little bit of a commercial, if not necessarily critical renaissance somewhere in the 80s with you know kind of some of the more dancey kind of well like let's dance there was 83 yeah yeah and then after that had a bit of a lull stuff that came out wasn't didn't sell amazingly mm-hmm. wasn't received particularly well and then he did tin machine and then he did tin like machine. a fucking maniac well yeah yeah different appearance are available on on tin yeah. machine um but yeah so this this is his album what you can say about david bowie and Woody Allen is they've both had the kind of uh, career this isn't don't worry you're looking at me here with wide open uh, eyes no one's going to mention fingering children it's fine okay um as long as we don't yeah absolutely or marrying your daughter Mm. yeah I mean the one thing you can say is both of them had such kind of enormous successes earlier it seems like every time something gets released it's a return to form oh that's so, kind some, of the, the, the stock phrase isn't yeah. it but, someone will say it but this was a record that did have a little bit of that around it I think certainly around doing something different it had his first top 10 single Indeed. for quite some time and all of these kind of things we've talked briefly about Barry before we did because we did uh, we mentioned his best of yeah. um, back in series one 
Uh, and we talked a little bit about our relationships with Bowie. And I was saying, I know the bests of Bowie, yeah. that sort of thing, but I do not know his albums well. Sure. I'm not a big enough fan to really get into all of those different uh, iterations of Bowie that he went through and dig deeper. I, I, I like what I know, but... I'm not that fussed about getting into it anymore. Sure. And yeah, my, my take is very much, you know, I was, you know, Bowie kind of really passed me by until, uh, you know, I got together with my wife, who's a big Bowie mm-hmm. fan. And again, through osmosis and through, you know, my own investigations, I've become a big Bowie fan. Gotcha. Uh, you know, by no means an encyclopedic Bowie fan, though. You know, I've, I've kind of been picking up albums on vinyl as mm-hmm. they've been re-released, but certainly not by any means kept completely up to date with that because... Fine. My budget for that stuff is not what it once was. And, you know, I've covered off, I would say, all of the big albums that you're supposed to know well, and I pretty much like all of those. And I do think he's a very, very strong album artist, but I've never really listened to this record. I was going to say, I mean, this one, uh, in 93, I'm assuming you weren't listening to this, but, I mean, have have you ever played this all the way through before having to do it for this podcast? No, no, not at all. Do you remember it? being around in 1993 uh no in 1993 david bowie was someone that i had no real interest in no real frame of i hadn't grown up with bowie in the house my Mm. parents weren't fans of bowie unsurprisingly obviously the, the the bands that were very heavily influenced by bowie at the time you know were the kind of the indie bands of the day Mm -hmm. and that wasn't my frame of reference yeah we just did suede a couple of episodes ago and there's obviously that big bully influence there but that wasn't your thing right but you even remember like the album title being in the shops and this this being a thing no i don't i don't i don't you know i don't remember seeing it no um thing is you know obviously we'll we'll do the album cover in a minute Mm. in fact we'll just let's just cover it off now i mean yeah the album cover for you know when you look at an artist like bowie who's whatever else his legacy is whatever you know he's got a a strong legacy of incredibly striking album covers. Sure, yeah. Well, he's, he loves his visual imagery as much. Yeah, as he yeah. Loves you know, his musical stuff. You know, th- you know, think of you know, think of a lad insane or something like that. Uh-huh. Iconic album covers, and this is uh, this very much looks like the kind of album cover that a record company put together for a contractual obligation greatest hits album. Yeah, well, it it is. It's just a close up of his face looking straight into camera. So it's not like. Uh, some of the artsy stuff where he did it, where it was just his face before. Some of the 70s albums where mm-hmm. it was, okay, there you go, there's Bowie. But there was nothing else going on. It looks like a, a headshot for a promo CV, that sort of thing. You know? Oh, like, yeah, like a, a, an actor for the bill. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. It's it's really just, okay, here's a photo of Bowie, that's what you yeah, get. Yeah, it's a pretty mundane album. Yeah. There's not there's not really any more discussion to be had yeah. on it, is there? If, if, no, you, no, so. if you have got strong opinions on this album title and why we're wrong, please do oh. let us know. Not album title. An album title, album cover. Yeah. Or oh, whatever. You um, know what I fucking meant. I did read somewhere that apparently the original idea was not just to use a photo of him. There was some other artwork going on. But at the very last minute it was changed. But I don't know if it, that was a Bowie decision or if that was a record company decision. Was I it a change or was it a ch- 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 change? Yes. Uh, I wasn't into this at all in 1993, but no. I do remember it happening. I remember the title Black Tie White Noise. I remember that being around. Mm-hmm. And I remember the, the first single being in the charts. I, you know, I remember hearing it, but I didn't investigate at all because I didn't give a shit. Uh, even though I was into some of the indie stuff like that we mentioned mm-hmm. that would have been Bowie-influenced, I wasn't 
trying to find out more. I wasn't working backwards at that point. Yeah. But, and there was no no Bowie in your house growing up? Uh, there was some, absolutely. Right. Uh, but again, it was a kind of a greatest hit selection. I would have known okay. all the singles. Um, I remember Ashes to Ashes being on top of the pops. I, I remember Let's Dance coming out and enjoying that. But uh, I don't remember there being any actual albums on in my house, so I wasn't exposed to them that way. Okay. And this is his 18th album. Right, so in 1993, it's his 18th album. It's absolutely, you know, he's churning them out to a greater or less extent of commercial success. And he would have been 46 when this was released, yeah. Which is the age I am now, which really puts some shit into perspective that he's done 18 albums by this point. Yeah, and you've done 18 points since Monday. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, and you're right, saying this was much more well received by critics than the couple of previous ones that he mm-hmm. did towards the late 80s and Tin Machine uh, they were panned the stuff he was putting out at that point and this was well received critically it, obviously we were only doing it because it went to number one so it must have been decent commercial but it was number one for one week and it's only number one in the UK it didn't do brilliant worldwide yeah okay uh, but it is considered by some a bit of a renaissance for him and the fact that he is trying different stuff and going different directions from what he had done before they're going, oh, and he's still a chameleon, you know. He's still trying to invent new ways of expressing himself in this sort of business. Yeah, and, you know, that can be a good thing, can be a bad thing. Well, indeed. Uh, we should say that this album is produced by Nile Rodgers mm-hmm. uh, from Chic, etc., who was also the producer on Let's Dance Yeah, uh, and was a big influence on the sound of Let's Dance. And But we got uh, back together with him to do this, but... They both agreed that they didn't just want to do Let's Dance Part 2. Yep. You know, that wasn't what they were about. They wanted to try new stuff and explore what was going on. And what Bowie said was he was re- listening to a lot of hip-hop and house music. Yeah. And so that's the influence he's taken. And he he's, he's quoted as saying, what is it? Uh, what we were missing, he was talking with Nile Rogers, and he said, what we were missing was the strong melodic content that was apparent in the 60s. I wanted to see if we could establish a new kind of melodic form of house. So yeah. he's he's really trying to go down the dance route to to a much yeah. greater extent than he had at any time before. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, I mean, you can never accuse Bowie of not be, of being afraid to try something. No, you know, absolutely not. Absolutely, he, not. he will give some stuff a go, even if it seems like a terrible idea on paper. He'll give it a shot. Yeah, well, we'll you yeah. know, let, well, let's let's you uh, see. Also, Earthling at that point, really. Let's let's not uh, dilly dally too yeah. much further. Let's crack straight into this. The first one on this album is called Wedding Song. Right. So yeah, this is this is the wedding and for him with the belt holes. Um and and this is I suppose this whole album was inspired by Bowie's marriage to Imam. Yeah. Who he he remained married to until he died. But they got married in nineteen ninety two. And apparently he wrote five pieces of music specifically for the wedding two of which made it onto this album, but the wedding itself and his marriage and his newfound relationship inspired the, this whole album. That's why it all came together. So this is obviously, you know, this is a wedding song. It's yeah. got the wedding bells you're going to have, if you're going to call it, the wedding. Okay. And then... Some nice break beat. There's... there's the, we've, got exactly. the, we've got the bass line from White, White Lines in here. Ba-doom, ba-doom. Ha! <laughs> Not for the last time. No, it is, it is mid-tempo, early 90s dance breakbeat. Yeah. Which is, I guess, what he's trying to experiment with, see what happens. And here comes the saxophone. Yeah. So, sax... Let me... Let's, let's just 
quickly say that we are both a fan of a saxophone solo in a song. Yeah. You know, when it's done well, a saxophone solo is wonderful fun. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of saxophone on this album. There's a lot of horns in general. Yeah. I mean, some would say there are too many horns on this album. <laughs> Quick call back to the Phil Collins episode. Yeah, 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 I mean, for sure. I mean, look, this is this is an odd piece of music, straight up front. This isn't. Yeah. It's it's kind of languorous and it's got vaguely. It's got that kind of vaguely futuristic feel to it, almost in that kind of what people in the past think the future mm-hmm. looks like. That kind of mm-hmm. late eighties kind of Blade Runner cyberpunky sci-fi. Right, sure. mm. It's got that kind of slightly slightly organic, slightly futuristic sound to it. You know, I, I don't. I don't hate it. It's. It's certainly, you know, I'm not listening to it going, oh, this is fucking amazing. Mm. But I'm listening to it going, this is a this is a, a perfectly fine piece of background music. Right. And it's an interesting experiment. Uh, of everything in his catalogue, the thing it puts me most in mind of, though, with those kind of rounded basses and like the kind of... It feels like more labyrinth soundtrack than it does oh, I see. anything else. Okay. You know, like, because it's got that kind of fantastical... Uh, you know, fantasy sci-fi tone to it. Sure, okay. I think this is... I think there's nothing wrong with this. It is a strange one, I think, if you've written this for your wedding. This doesn't sound like wedding to me, apart from the bells at the start. You know, when it's gone into this, I'm like, okay, I don't know what you're trying to symbolise or what emotions you're trying to give me for your wedding, but fine, not a problem. But this saxophone, I don't get. I, I just... I think it's a, a not a nice sound to it. I think it's a bit atonal, and there's no proper melody to it. This is a, it's a very difficult one to argue the toss on because I I listen to this and I I go, oh yeah, I I feel like this sounds like they wanted it to sound. Oh, I imagine and this is exactly what Bowie wanted. Yeah, and it's you know it it's all right with me. It's a couple of little I guess notes that probably fit here better than anywhere else whilst listening to this record what I found is because obviously I listened to it a few times just through speakers yep um, but when I made my notes I I, I had my headphones on right because I was trying to do it uh, when people are around and what I did find is I found this record through speakers I, I found it very very difficult to keep my attention on it right um, like to really concentrate on what I was doing. Well, I was put headphones on, and I had a kind of better sense of some of the production choices. I felt like I kind of was able to give it my full attention a bit more. And okay. and obviously, obviously, I know that goes without saying that it's easier to focus on something that's in headphones than it is. Without, yeah, other stuff going on. But like particularly more pointedly than that would normally be the case. Okay. Um, oh right, I didn't do any uh, headphone listens. This okay. is this is all just through speakers. So, me. so uh, I find it quite difficult to know what to say about this record. In, in, in a way, I mean, it, it, I, I think it's an interesting introduction, and it certainly, it certainly sets the tone of what is to come. It, it does, but it didn't make me excited for what was to come. It didn't get me like, oh, wicked! I want to hear what's no. going to happen next. And, and this is the interesting thing because on a, on a first listen, I'm not interested in particularly what's coming. Mm. But by the time I'm at a third or fourth listen. And I know what to expect, mm-hmm. and I've reframed my expectation. Right. 
it makes me think differently of the record. That's fair. And by the time I'm at that point, I'm like, okay, this is perfectly... I sound, I sound like I'm down it with Frank Post because I do actually quite like this track. Oh, you do? Okay. I, I, I don't... Uh, yeah. I mean, uh, it's, it's very difficult to explain because obviously we, we review pop music records all the time mm. and we talk about tracks individually. And, you know, this is... An album that is not really rich with singles, I think. No. But in terms of how this starts and how it continues, I think this is a good start for this record. Okay. Just in a quick note on the saxophone playing. Now, there's an Al Rogers quote that he apparently found Bowie's saxophone playing, quote, challenging. Yes, indeed. During the recording of the album. And there is quite a lot of it. Uh, But now Roger says, I think David would be the first to admit that he is not a saxophonist in the traditional sense. I mean, you wouldn't call him up to do gigs. He uses his playing as an artistic tool. He's a painter. He hears an idea and he goes with it. Yes. So there's there's a big element of kind of jazz in this. Like he has an idea in his in his mind and he has the instrument and he tries to get that idea out into the world. But he's not necessarily uh, writing a song that is you know, a, a a catchy tune and doing that. He's yeah. improvising or going with the flow. And that can be a good or a bad thing, I think. You know, I mean, you know, let's, let's face facts. If you're an oil painter and you run out of brown, you can use your own shit. Mm. Whether you should or not yep. is a different matter. And the, I think the, the, the comment about jazz is very relevant. And yeah. for me, a lot of when this record is successful and not successful depends how closely it has veered towards which element of jazz because there is certainly right. a jazz there's a through line going through yeah, yeah this whole thing. a jazz influence should yeah, we sure. say yeah. throughout this whole record yeah. um yeah anyway right well let's let's uh, that's track one sure okay uh so track number two is you've been around and and this track very immediately I've got a very specific point of reference for it oh right is it Terminator no <laughs> Vangelis or something but there, 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 there is that it's, it's obviously it's got this kind of quite rounded edged industrial feel well to it is it. it's this, this sort of buzz this electro buzz but here it is but man then, what? this just sounds like bat dance oh there it is okay yeah I mean I said this is a to me this is an 80s snare drum Oh yeah, I mean, this is right out of the eighties. Yeah, this has got you know, this has got you know a bit of the old kind of numenoid attached to it. Right. But this is this is very much someone that's been listening to dance music, and someone that is going to go on in the next couple of years to collaborate with Nine Inch Nails. Indeed, absolutely. So you can see where this is going. Look, so this is the first time we're hearing Bowie's voice on the record. Yep. And for me, you know, it, it does hold an authority, and whether that is just because of my affinity with the back catalogue yeah. but the, it makes me interested in what he's got to say and I like the delivery on this oh right yeah uh, and obviously it's kind of a very gothic kind of tone to it it's a very downbeat kind of mm. bleakly futuristic world view mm-hmm. that he's kind of putting across there's a nice little bit of uh, metatextualism when he does his little changes yes indeed yeah little again just harking back to classics uh, but there's an, an, another big horn coming in this. This time a trumpet. Yeah. Um, I mean, this is this is what a, a four and a half minute song, and at about but close to three minutes. Let me just skip forward a bit. Actually, we'll get to the horn bit. Mm-hmm. 
and we, yeah, we have we've had this sort of song. Uh, you know, pumping along. There's the changes bit, and yeah, here's here's your horn. Yeah. I don't get why he's put that in there. I don't think that fits in here. Uh, well, again, the interesting thing about this song for me mm-hmm. is I don't feel like I like quite a lot of the individual elements of this song. Right. But for some reason, when you put them together, it kind of coalesces into something that I do quite enjoy. Oh, I see. Okay. I, I, you know, I, I, I do... I do like this one. I find it like a nice key, low slung, atmospheric, with some interesting stuff going in it. I, I, this is, you right, know, okay. Again, it's never going to be a party banger. Yeah, it's not necessarily going to be uh, the track I play to all my friends. Go, oh, have you fucking heard this one? But while this this song's on, I'm like, oh, okay, there's plenty going on here that I like, and I and I do like that element of that that uh, trumpet brings to it. That oh, kind of, oh, right, yeah. I do, yeah. yeah. It, kind of, like, it, it kind of brings a kind of staccato rhythm that it sticks over the top of it whilst adding some extra kind of tonal elements. Mm, uh, and okay. it, it, first listen probably didn't make sense. Third or fourth listen started to make sense to me. So I'm like, okay, right. If, if this is the way this album's going, okay, I think I'm going to find some stuff to like in this. Okay. I don't particularly like this one at all. I think that whenever that beat comes in, and maybe it is just because it's 30 years on and it sounds very dated to me, but I think that this would have sounded a bit dated in terms of dance music to me, even in 93, because it sounds like late 80s. And, and I think you're, and I think you're right. And I, I think you're right. Um, and if, you know, if we're assessing this in terms of like datedness for its time frame then yeah i mean you wouldn't get an argument from me from there but in terms of going back and listening to it with a a fresh set of ears it's kind of got a a a vintage to it you know i I quite like the overall the overall feel i mean i'm you know I'm, i'm a fan of that downbeat rainy futuristic city neon raincoats that type of thing that whole kind of cyberpunk ethic and i get quite a bit of that from this right i I don't i get a tired dance beat with no actual hook really and i'm not a big fan of bowie's voice in this i don't particularly like what he's doing vocally oh yeah Um, okay even though it's obviously bowie you know Mm -hmm. you can't mistake him it's not like he's doing something particularly different but he's doing something on this one that he doesn't necessarily do on all of his songs I, i don't know it just sounds a bit even more nasally, a bit more close-throated or something like that. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I like him playing with the form of his voice. And I don't right. always like him playing with the form of his voice, and we'll discuss that sure. uh, later points. But, for, you know, I, mean, I I completely think that your viewpoint is entirely valid. I don't mm. I don't feel strongly enough that I would suggest that that you're wrong in any way. But mm. for me, yeah, I, I find something from it that I like. Right. I did think that there was a certain sort of cadence and the uh, way that the phrasing in the song went that made me think of Bachelorette by Bjork. Oh, okay. Which is like one of her two good songs. Um, <laughs> but uh, Don't ask Bjork fans. <laughs> yeah. um, you'll get no fucking joy from me either. Yeah, but this is a good one. And I'll just play a little bit of this, see if you agree with me, if I'm just going fucking weird. Just the... It just reminded me of the way she phrases stuff in this well, what's as well. at like 95 good question uh let's see 
97. 97, I was going right. to say, I was gonna say 95 or 97, there you go. Yeah. So, yeah, so... Uh, oh, fucking skip this. Just, yeah. Bits reminded me of that. It's, it's certainly got a, a kinship with mm, it. Indeed. From a tonal basis. Yeah. And also on this song, because this was apparently originally a Tin Machine song. It's written for Tin Machine. Okay. Uh, but shelved at the time because they couldn't... Uh, they couldn't get it down in the studio in a way that they thought, yeah, this is what we mean. Mm-hmm. So it was shelved, but brought back for this. And uh, there was a guy called Reeves Gabrels, I'm not sure of if course, I'm pronouncing that right, was. who was the guitarist. He, he worked with Bowie in the late 80s and with Tin Machine as well. And he is on this track on guitar. Mm-hmm. So it's like they brought him back and almost, you know, a little bit of a Tin Machine reformation for this song. But one, there's a quote from Bowie that says, one of the most satisfying things about making this particular track was working with Reeves on it because I had the chance, because it was my album and not Tin Machines, to mix Reeves way into the background. Uh, I knew that, that would doubtlessly really irritate him, which indeed it did. <laughs> <laughs> oh, bell end. <laughs> That's a good practical joke. Yeah, remember this song we wrote? I'm going to make your part almost inaudible. Nice. <laughs> uh, there's also, uh, there is a Jack Dangers remix of this from Meat Beat Manifesto, uh, which was released on a different single, I think. And it sound, that sounds good to me, uh, but it sounds like a, a Meat Beat Manifesto song with David Bowie on it rather than any real semblance of this song to me. Uh, but it, it shows that Bowie was not just trying to do his own dance music, but was trying to, or was experimenting with different people to collaborate with and remix his stuff as well. And Jack Dangers is a good one for, for that sort of thing, to be honest. Okay, should we do track number three? Yes, all right. Uh, track number three. It's well, I Feel Free. <laughs> track number three. Oh, a little experimental vocal loop yeah, here. Indeed. I must admit, right, whenever I saw the track listing, yeah. and it was the one called I Feel Free, I was like, well, it can't possibly be a cover version of I Feel Free by Cream. Yeah. Because why would he do that? Oh, it is, though. And it really is. Yeah. With the... Uh, that little vocal loop thing reminds me more of uh, of uh, Yellow than anyone else. <laughs> oh, mate, Yellow wouldn't release something this yeah. shoddy. Well, look, we're in that kind of Prince was not was, like, electro-funk territory here, right. aren't we? Um, I guess... Which is not anything I think this song needs. So he, he's singing here in a very super low register, as if he's trying to be heard by, like, <laughs> fucking dead. the opposite of dogs. <laughs> yeah. God. God. Yeah. Um, uh, as with the previous tracks, there aren't really any enormous hooks in this track to hold on to, are there? Well, no, there's not, but there should be, because the original version is nothing but a one big riff and it's fucking wicked. Yeah, but, you know, it's also by Eric Clapton, so fuck him. It doesn't stop it being a brilliant song. No, you're right. Um, Let's hear your opinion on some great screwdriver (laughs) classics as well, shall we? (laughs) Tell tell me what you think, man. I think this is awful. I think this is fucking dreadful and I don't understand... Well, after reading, I understand why he did it. Right. But I do not understand how he could be in the studio and they're performing this and recording it and he's like, this is absolutely, but oh, this is going on the album. Absolutely, this is. In fact, this is probably better than the original. Right. What the hell is he thinking? I say I don't mind this. Oh, I, I, I don't know the original well. Totally yeah. honest with you, um, so that's not where I'm coming at it with. Right. But I just find the composition pleasing. Again, this was another one of those things where I was listening to it through headphones and I went, okay, these are these are 
nice sounds. Uh, I, I oh, kind of horrible sounds. I, 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 I think it sounds right. pretty pleasing to me. Yeah, there's some interesting production choices. Here. It feel, certainly feels full of ideas um, and right, kind yeah. of an experimental someone striving towards something whether it's entirely successful or not is clearly a matter of opinion Mm -hmm. but there's a certain something in the striving within it that makes it appeal to me yeah again not something i'm putting on playlists but so far and this is really damning with fucking faint praise but for me so far the like the the key, <laughs> you're gonna fucking laugh at me for this. Jesus. Uh, like the, the key strength of this album is this is something a record that I could put on whilst I'm trying to do something else <laughs> quite happily. Yeah. Because it's gently pleasing to listen to in the background and uh. isn't going to distract me overly with big fucking hooks that will distract me from the I other see. thing that I'm trying to do. All right. I quite like the sound. Right. I no. I think this is absolutely terrible. I think this is a tired drum break beat, uh, you know, straight out of, let's just hit this on the sample button. Um, there's no bite or groove of the original left in it. It's been surgically removed and plastered over with out-of-tune saxophone. Um, and, and this has got Mick Ronson on it on guitar, you know, from the Spiders from Mars days. Yeah. And even he didn't say something in the studio going, maybe we should, David, maybe, maybe you'll leave this one. I would have thought that somebody somewhere would have gone, tell you what, man, this is fine for tuning up your instruments. Everyone loves to do a bit of a fun cover. Let's never let this hear the light of day. Well, you know, I mean, you put it from the perspective of you're in the 90s. You've been one of the most influential artists of the late 60s and early 70s -hmm. and throughout the 70s. Do you have the same reverence for that stuff having lived it and been there? Or does that just sound like tired and like the past to you? Well, if it does, why is he doing it at all? Well, Because he can't think this is better. I, I mean, genuinely I think mean, he can't think it's better. I mean, you, you don't... I mean, fucking hell, Bowie has had some very strange ideas over the time. Whether, mm. whether those ideas hold up to scrutiny is a completely different question. Mm. Uh, and obviously, I mean, I'm coming at this from a different perspective to you because I, I, I don't really know the original song particularly well. I've, I've certainly got right. no... You know, I, I don't bring any baggage with me for it. But, sure. you know, I mean, I, I, and I'm completely, completely happy to believe that the original is significantly better than this. Uh, and I would enjoy the original far more. But not knowing it, I, I just find this, it's a six and a half. You know, it's it's just on the side of, yeah. it's all right, you know, it's, uh, it's fine. Can't give it that even, no. Um, the, like I said before, there apparently was an actual reason for him wanting to do this song because I, I thought he just picked it out of thin air, but apparently it is because um, he had a stepbrother, and we'll get to him later on in, for another couple of songs, um, but he went out with his stepbrother, who was a very unwell man, diagnosed yes. with schizophrenia, mm-hmm. uh, and apparently he saw visions a lot and was very, very not well in the head. Yeah. Uh, but apparently he took him to see a Cream concert, and about halfway through... And he thinks it was during "I Feel Free." Uh, the stepbrother started really going downhill, and he was, you know, seeing fire going on, and he was, you know, uh, collapsing on the floor and, mm-hmm. and screaming. Things were trying to get to him, so it was a really uh, horrible time. But Bowie said that he was describing what he could see, and it was in Bowie's head he could almost see himself because it was so arresting what he was saying. Yeah, and so that moment kind of stuck in his head, and so he did this song as 
some sort of a, a nod to or a tribute to his stepbrother. So it's almost like he's reimagining it as through the filter of what he thinks his brother was Maybe seeing. so, maybe so. Um, and that, that in and of itself is, you mm. know, very interesting, I think. Right, but yeah, that's why he did this song. Sure. Um, but, you know, I, I, I don't think this is a success at all. I do not like it. All right, so uh, we're unanimous, so that's a classic. Um, <laughs> we're not, uh, so now we're on to the title track, which is Black Tie, White Noise. Another cover, this time of uh, So Psycho Sexy by the Red Hot Chili Peppers. It is so on it, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it really yeah. is. Well, yeah, no, I, this intro, I kind of like. It is a bit of funk bass drums. I like that little piano. Yeah. It's a, reminiscent of kind of California Love by Tupac. What else have we got? We've got uh, a horn. Oh, there it is. And here's some more vocal loops. Yeah, yo, 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 yo. They're funkadelic-y. I mean, that is... rather, I suppose. That is the type of thing when someone's demonstrating a keyboard to you and they put a, <laughs> put a vocal into a keyboard and they go, yeah. and look what we can do. Yeah. It's a weird kind of resolution that resolves to a different song almost at that point. Yeah, it's weird because everything else is still in here, mm. but it's buried so deep into the production. Mm. And he, here he is singing in a, in a much higher register... This is, that's I'll be sure. Yeah, oh, oh, that is I'll be sure. Okay, yeah. fucking I'll, yeah, yeah. All right. Who's fucks I'll be sure? Uh, he was an R and B singer of the early nineties, but he's the guest vocalist on this. Oh, fair enough. Yeah. I, I fucking failed. Do you know what? I failed to pick out that. All oh, right, yeah, no, that's, that's a hit. How did I fucking do that? I'm a knob. And then this bit here's Bowie here, but singing in a higher range. Maybe I'm yeah, just, yeah. Maybe maybe I'm not a knob, he's, and maybe, maybe I'm just reading up. my notes from thing. But um, yeah, but it's a more soulful, soulful vocal either way. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. It's, I've kind of. I don't know. That, that noise, oys, oy, oy, What the hell? I, I've kind of written this down, man. <laughs> I don't really know much to me other than it's a. It's a kind of vaguely enjoyable mess. This song. Oh, I think this is bland nonsense. Absolute layers of shite. Yeah. Uh, see, I see. Again, I think, well, I'm being too harsh there. I think there is a kernel of a song in this. Um, but it's, it is covered up with layers of shite. I, I mean, it, it is it is a weirdly layered production, and it's so deeply tied to the eighties by that by that mm. horn. Mm-hmm. And one of the biggest failings of this record is how much it dates itself with the horn. Mm. Uh, yeah, well, for a man who is trying to do something new and taking dance elements, there is an awful lot of. All right, well, this this is six years old, this sign now. Going back to that thing of where he's trying to find a way of adding these melodic elements mm-hmm. into the kind of the modern... Like a dance groove. So I think if you got if you look at it in context of... Okay, so he started as, as a fairly simple rock and roll band, really. Mm-hmm. You, yeah. know, you, got, you know, Spiders from Mars is a, is a rock and roll glam album. Rock, yep. it's, it's a glam rock, rock and roll record. So, you know, maybe when you've got a 30-year career by 1993 and 18 records perhaps the fact that you didn't discover these kind of horn breaks and things until later in your career allows you to convince yourself they're not quite as dated as, as they perhaps are Maybe. and the fact that he's obviously taught himself to play the saxophone you know i mean if you've taught yourself to play the saxophone you're like i'm not fucking giving up on this just because it suffers <laughs> i'm making everyone hear what i yeah, can no, do so, no, so, yeah. i'm fairly sure i can bring this back yeah jesus i mean i'll tell you man like you know if i'd learned to do something i mean look i i learned to jump through my leg 
And I kept that shit going long past its that prime. Is, that is very true. Because yeah. that took a while to do. I learned the words to informer and I still break them out to this day because it took me a while it's, to do it. It's your your thing. Yeah. yeah. It's like if I put some time and effort into something, I don't necessarily care if the zeitgeist has moved beyond me. <laughs> I'm going <laughs> to let you know I can do, do it this. still. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, look at me, man. I'm still dressed like a fucking 18 year old. It's <laughs> true. Um, I, I don't get this song at all, though. I When it starts off, um, Okay, this could be interesting. I, this could be more up my street, but it just almost instantly switches over to something I'm not into. It loses the kind of the bit of funk that it had to me, and what he's quoted as saying because this this song right uh, is inspired by his time in 1992 when he got he went to LA. And, uh, he and his wife were or fiance at that time were looking for a house, mm-hmm. um, but they landed in LA on the day of the LA riots. Yes, so he indeed. saw this shit going on, and it yeah. inspired him to write a song about uh, the, the the kind of the, this battle there and the struggle and uh, race rights in America at the time and what was going on. So yeah. black tie, white noise. Mm-hmm. But he is said that he wanted it to have. Um, a bit more of a, of a tough, edgy quality. He didn't want it to sound like an ebony and ivory for the 90s. And he definitely hasn't done that. He has avoided it sounding like ebony and ivory because I can sing you the chorus of ebony and ivory and I have no idea what this sounds like once it stops. Okay. I mean... It doesn't have a tune to me. I'm interested enough in what he's doing that I can listen to this and it's a curiosity and it's an interesting curiosity. Okay. You know, I'm I'm quite aware that I bring quite a lot of goodwill to this. And if I didn't have that, then maybe I'd feel the same way that you do about it. Right, but sure, you never know. I feel a little bit sorry for I'll Be Sure, uh, to be honest, because he probably thought that this was going to be a stepping stone to a much bigger part of his career. You know, duetting with Bowie on the title track of his album in 93. He yeah. must have gone, right, here we fucking go. I'm going to stratosphere it now. And never heard of him again. Which is weird for a man whose name is basically Irish Certainty. <laughs> I'll be sure. <laughs> <laughs> the first choice for guest vocalist was uh, Lenny Kravitz, it turns out. Oh, was it? Yeah, but oh. we, so I'll be sure was second in line. After Lenny Kravitz. After Lenny, yeah. yeah him. Um, I, the, the bit, because I, I did, I listened to this quite a few times, this album. And every time I got to this one, the, the noi oi oi oi's bit... Really, it just made me laugh, but it reminded me of uh, Eminem's ass like that. I just every time I heard Bowie going noy oy oys, I just thought of Eminem doing that ridiculous. My, my dick going da doing 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 uh, Right, yeah. okay. Fucking hell, bizarrely, that's made me feel uh, feel strangely nostalgic for an Eminem song that I've never liked. Right, it, quite, yeah. just because the, the fucking oceans of shit he's put out in oh, the past me. 15 years. God, he has. <laughs> Some gems in there, though. Anyway. Oh, yeah. Right, um, so let's uh, let's take a, a brief sure, break. We're from a third uh, of the way through. I, I think it's fair to say that I'm, I'm enjoying this a bit more than you are. Oh, yes. I well, am not well, I, enjoying this at all well, so far. I, I think it's pre- prepared to say, actually, I'm prepared to give this a lot more fucking rope than you are. <laughs> Maybe so. Maybe so. Uh, right. Okay. Let's do the albums then. So we're looking at the week of the 11th of April to the 17th. And this is another one week or so. 
there's not an awful lot to change. Number 10 is Dina Carroll so close. Number 9, Arrested Development, three years, five months, etc., which I think has gone back into the charts. Mm-hmm. Off, must be somebody off some uh, single release. Number 8, Eric Clapton Unplugged. REM. Uh, number 7 with Automatic for the People. Number 6, Andy Lennox Diva. Number 5, The Almighty with Power Trippin'. Power Trippin', yeah. Big... Oh, do you remember that one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, right. Oh, so it was a big album, that was. God, did you yeah. have it or know it? No, no, I always thought they were fucking shit. I, 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 I was just, yeah. Gotta remember, The Almighty were, you know, at a time when rock was still doing pretty well in this country, mm. you know, that, they were part of that British Kerrang-driven rock machine Yes. That sold a lot of units in the same way that, you know, that's why you kind of see Thunder albums going in at number Thunder's one and number exactly two. the other one I thought of. Yeah, and, they're, and they're very much in that school, very kind of meat and potatoes, British, hard rock. Double denim. Yeah, double denim, yeah. pubic lice, mm, sure. cider. Yeah. Or bitter. That's exactly what, oh, definitely bitter, actually. Uh, number four, David Essex cover shot. Uh, number three is a new entry, Sugar uh, with Beaster, which was the kind of the mini album that they released yeah. after Copper Blue. But was all, it was kind of some of the songs that they had written at the same time as Copper Blue, but yeah. put on a different album. And it's really good. It is a lot of fun. That one. Yeah. It's not a lot of fun at all. It's dark and horrible, well, but I, it's really good. I just want to say it at this point as well, man. It's a kind of a, a good moment for it. Um, mm. As you'll hear at the, the front end of this episode, this ed- episode is uh, is dedicated to my, uh, my good friend Phil, uh, Jared, mm-hmm. who just recently lost his... Uh, battle with cancer um but you know you if you've been listening to this podcast for a while you'll know that we recorded uh an episode about copper blue by uh sugar mm-hmm. we recorded that on the request of uh the listener and friend of the show matt davis matt's, matt's a guy i met a few times um and just an absolutely lovely guy who's a big fan of uh rock and metal now when we recorded it for him we knew he was unwell but we didn't know quite yeah. how unwell he was, and uh, you know, unfortunately, he passed away a few weeks ago, just before his fiftieth birthday. Um, and I just want to, you know, kind of take the opportunity to send as much love out as I can to Absolutely. to Matt Davis, all of his friends, and and Susie is his partner. Um, he was one of the guys that every time we put something on social media, like asking a question or for opinions, he would always have a solid come back yeah. on what he thought or something but he also loved everything because he was just into music yeah i mean that, yeah. that that's the thing you know like matt was uh you know matt's one of those guys that every time i spent i spent time with him you know he was uh, a, a a great guy and you know i, I don't i don't want to be kind of an opportunist and jump jump on and you know kind of pretend that I, I knew him better than i did but certainly he's a guy i wish i had known better and yeah thoughts are with his friend and family and frankly fuck cancer what an absolute mm. cunt cancer Absolutely. is but yeah sorry mate please do continue right yeah no well that, that was number three so sugar at number three would be stir and then number two is suede self-titled which we've already done yeah so that's your top 10 which is really not a lot of change and one of those changes is the almighty which doesn't serve any sort of recognition uh we have two weeks to look at in terms of other album releases because after David Bowie was number one, REM's Automatically People went back to number one for one week. So we've got a couple of weeks before the next one, basically. But it's still slim pickings. Um, I've even made a note of WrestleMania. The album came out. Wow. Because I thought, I bet you Dave had that. I did did not. I did not. (laughs) Knowing your uh, penchant for a bit of... Wrestling. Well, you know, I don't mind a bit of wrestling. Yeah, indeed. Um, Snow released 12 Inches of Snow, 
which only got to number 41 in the UK. Well, that's because it had no notable... <laughs> Everyone had bought the single. Yeah. They'd got enough. <laughs> Quite. <laughs> Do I need another 11 tracks of this? Well, probably not. Probably no. No. Uh, so that, that was released. Um, LL Cool J released 14 Shots to the Dome, yeah. which only got to number 74, apparently. Well, it wasn't a very good record. It was kind of... Right. It, it was one of those things 1993 where... 1993 Cool J's, like, really in the wilderness at that point, isn't it? Yeah, this is the thing. It's, well, it was odd because, obviously, he'd come off of uh, Mama Said Knock You Out, mm-hmm. which was, what, 1991? One, I think, yeah. Yeah, and which was an enormous record. But so much changed in hip hop mm-hmm. in that period of time, you know, and you know that's why we see these these kind of crews that had big records like at the, at the very very end of that kind of what I kind of consider the old school era. That sure. kind of because hip hop kind of blew up around eighty six, eighty seven, mm-hmm. didn't it? And it had this kind of big period like eighty six, eighty seven, all the way to about early nineties, and then what you kind of get is with the breakup of nwa uh and all of the new stuff that starts coming out you you know you get naughty by nature start hitting pretty big you mm-hmm. get um cypress hill yes yeah, cypress hill you get all of this kind of new interesting stuff that is almost like a next generation yeah well exactly what it is yeah and you know hip-hop has always been something that that reinvented itself and you know in in latter years you you, you do have more storied celebrities that kind of weather the changes in hip hop you know you've got people like Jay-Z and mm-hmm. Kanye and people that can people that can weather the storm but that's yeah, hip hop was always a, a, an art form that very much at its you know where the young at the old yeah um, and you know like we'll see like Public Enemy putting out releases and you know after, oh in 93 they were completely off the boil as well music, music and, and our message yeah. that was 94 I think but yeah, yeah but the, that's what I'm saying All, those Rubbish. are ice, there's very few artists that were putting records out in you know kind of in the late 80s early 90s that continue putting out solid stuff I mean I would mm. say I can think of Gangstar mm. maybe Pete Roxiel Smooth to a certain degree but they maybe never really had yeah and yeah Tribe Called Quest De La Soul so, and, you know, and Anello was very much, you know, in that as well, as, you know, as was Run DMC. You know, people mm. talk about these acts in fairly hushed tones now, but there were a lot of years in the wilderness where no one really gave a fuck about what they were putting out. Well, no one did with Cool J for a long time. You know, it wasn't until he started putting like that really kind of jiggy R&B hip hop yeah. in the later 90s that he was back on the scene but it was to a completely different crowd yeah it wasn't exactly to hip-hop that. fans anymore yeah well it, it, it well, that's a very fucking broad church but oh sure okay but if you're the type up, of hip-hop you know, that we were listening sure to. yeah exactly he was doing phenomenon and that sort of stuff which yeah. was more down the pop r&b style. cover of that uh Mass pit song yeah yeah phenomenon uh so yeah cool jay um reverend horton heat yeah. Reverend Horton Heat. Well, yeah. we really are digging in the fucking... Yeah. I mean, like, I, I like the Reverend Horton Heat, but if if, if they're the notable release... Exactly, mate. Well, you got any sunny day real estate for me? <laughs> uh, yeah, full custom gospel signs of Reverend Horton Heat was, was out. Uh, and I, similarly, I really like uh, Reverend Horton Heat, and I think what they do is great fun, but every single album to me sounds like a Reverend Horton Heat album. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I it's mean, like, uh, all right, I've heard this before. Poor man's John Spencer Blues Explosion. Yeah. But well, maybe a bit, a bit more twangy. Yeah. Um, well, fucking hell, you think that was scraping the barrel? Oh, no. I've, the only one I've made, I've made a note of this because I had no idea that her debut was this far back, 1993. Shania Twain released a debut album in 1993. Oh, my Not God. Not a clue. This is, well, I mean, I, I, I mean, that doesn't surprise me. I mean, that, I mean, what that doesn't is impress me much. Hey! But, um, <laughs> 
There we are. But uh, come on, man. I mean, I'm not, I'm not surprised by. I mean, I if, if someone told me that fucking Reba McIntyre had put out 36 records and the first one was when she was four, I'd be like, eh, mm, rednecks be rednecks. Well, quite. But yeah, that's all I have. That is a poor week. It's a really bad week. <laughs> Honestly, there's nothing else I can find. If anyone is listening going, no, 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 that was the week that Such and Such came out, you're idiots. Please, God, tell us, because mm. I'm a little bit embarrassed of what we've had to go through here. That was a, that was a poor selection. Yeah. Oh, well, well, good Never news mind. is we can go back into this uh, into Bowie album Bowie. that you're enjoying so much. <laughs> Uh, the next one is called A Jump, They Say. Jump, They Say. All right. And this was the first single. This was out in March of 93, and it got to number nine. Yeah. And I do remember I remember this one. Um, I remember it probably being on Radio 1 or in, you know, on Top of the Pops or something. I remember it being around. But I also remember going, this sounds like a very strange thing. The weird thing is, mixed differently, you've got a big beat track. I have said exactly the same. I've mentioned shit like Freak Par and that sort of stuff, you know. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah I'm, I'm listening to this and I'm thinking, like, was what were they fucking called? Began with a W. Um, ooh la la, that was their track. Oh, Wise Guys. Yeah, that kind of... Right. Yeah, I mean, I, I've said this sounds like a doing it for the money remix of a normal Bowie song by Fatboy Slim or Propellerheads. Yeah, very much, very much that. Yeah, you know. But for me, those are two styles that don't gel together, and that happens so often. Whenever you got a Propellerheads mix of a song, it's like someone at the record company had gone, "All right, we need to try and cross over somehow. Let's get someone cool in to do it." And they just said, "All right, please, can you remix this wet, wet, wet single?" Mm. And there's no way it's ever going to work because it's a fucking stupid idea. To me, this sounds like two styles sort of headbutting but not gelling. See, I don't, I don't feel that way about this track. You know, right. obviously the the, the, vo- the way the vocals are phrased, uh, the way the tracks kind of kind of ebbs and flows. I I kind of like it. I I yeah. think it would be far more incongruous if he'd have tried to kind of do some upbeat kind of faster, very unbowy vocal over it so I, I quite like right uh the juxtaposition on it the, the big horns there you've kind of got this dark kind of poetic social commentary in the, mm-hmm. in the lyric um you know it's uh yeah it's about uh the pressure that people put on you and don't give in to it don't cave in to what people's demands are and yeah. don't uh, try, just make sure you're all right yeah that sort of thing at exactly at the same time it in no way sounds like a single to me no, well, no. Uh, if, if I'm assessing this on a, is this a top 10 single? Hmm. Well, no, I don't think it is. There is something about the, the, the What the fuck is that? What does that remind me of? Not uh, White Stripes, Seven Nation no, Army. Oh, no, 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 definitely not that. Right. Oh, vaguely reminiscent of a Head Automatica song. Oh, okay. Anyway, um, but yeah, in the context that I've kind of found myself putting these songs in, a bit of background music, absolutely fine. If you gave me this as a, what's your opinion of this, as a top 10 single, mm-hmm. uh, not very good. So, sure, but then again, I'm guessing the record company just went, all right, at least this one, it's not straight down the line single because it's not, but it's a bit more accessible than a lot of the other ones on here. Yeah, There's got, not so much jazz sax in it. It's a little more upbeat, yeah. Yeah. And it's got a, it's got a kind of a very danceable, very straightforward breakbeat in it. Yes, definitely has that. Yeah. And, and it's, yeah, yeah, this like I said, got to number nine. So this was his first top ten hit since Absolute Beginners in nineteen eighty five. Well 
wasn't 1987 a number one uh, hit for him with, with Mick Jagger? Oh, with Dancing in the Street. All right. Yeah, true. If we're, if we're doing duets, you're absolutely right. Uh, yeah. yeah. I mean, come he, on. He also didn't have another top 10 hit until 2013. No. He, that fallow, fallow period for hit singles. Yeah. I mean, I, I think he had probably at that point decided that competing in the hit singles market was not necessarily what he was aiming to do. I, oh, I, I, he, I, he did Earth thing. Of course he's not thinking that. Yeah, I mean, I have no doubt. This is the thing. Throughout all of this, when you listen to this, I, I kind of feel like at any point that he wanted to, he could have pulled a hit single out of his arsehole had he decided not to be going down that Maybe. road. I, I, I don't know. I, you know, I, I, no, I do. I, I, don't, I, I don't think that his mind is about producing hit singles anymore. You know, I, I, yeah. I don't think you can go from having those kind of instincts and those kind of, um, being able to drop that kind of stuff at will to simply not being able to do it anymore, particularly when you've got kind of ability to identify trends that Bowie always did have. Well, you say that, but I think he is very off base with the trends that he's trying to emulate or co-opt on this album. I think he's very to the wrong side of it. Well, Because he's 46. He's not supposed to be you know, the you're, no, you're right, edge, but you know? I, I, I think that's the kind of the point in there. I think it's a, cho- a choice. I think he goes, right, this is, what, this is what people are doing. This is what I will do with it. Yeah. And I don't think that he necessarily expects those to be enormous pop hits. I think he's less interested in that. What he's in, more interested in doing is grown-up music in his mind. Sure. Which, for me, I'd much rather hear Bowie at 46 doing this than I probably would hear Phil Collins doing But Seriously. But would you also want to hear Phil Collins doing a Melodic House album? No. No, I. this is it. I wouldn't want... I don't think Bowie trying to do a Melodic House album is a good idea, and I don't think it's worked at all. And that is... It's his right to fucking have a go. Exactly, and that, and in there, I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to argue with you because I, I don't feel strongly enough about this record mm. to argue with you. However, as a concept of someone pursuing the thing that they want to do and find, you know, finding out how it comes out, you know, I, I find it interesting. Going, okay, how does the guy that did this interpret this? Yeah, it's an oddity. Not, not not a space, space odyssey, odyssey yeah. but it's a you know it, it's a house odyssey Quite. oddity when you've got a, a, a catalog as deep with as many classics in it it does afford you a certain amount of fuck around space oh and that's what he's doing and i have no issue with him doing that whatsoever and i think what comes down to it is it's like i'm interested enough to listen and to pick out the bits i like mm-hmm. I think that's what this comes down to. Because I don't necessarily disagree with much of what you're saying, Mm. but I think our tolerance and how much leeway we're prepared to give it is vastly different. Yes, I I think that's evident. Yeah. Sure. Uh, I I did... uh... Note that uh, Wikipedia has some of the press reviews of the time for this single, and this amused me just because they've got Alan Jones from Music Week, so you know, big industry magazine. Mm-hmm. He described it as a typically theatrical, crooned throwback to his glory days. Mm-hmm. Uh, club goers will glory in the Brothers in Rhythm and Left Field mixes, which drag it onto the dance floor. So he's the Left Field. There's a Left Field mix of this. Yeah, yeah. it's 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 all right. It's seven minutes long. It's a lot of bass in it. It's fine. Um, uh, James Hamilton from Dance Update, another uh, more dance music magazine, uh, talked about 
Bowie's droning, adenoidal vocal, but in a good way. He is saying this is a good thing. But the third one they've listed, it says, British newspaper The Reading Evening Post said the song is surprisingly good. <laughs> like, what? That's your number three. <laughs> I tell you, it reminds me of one of my favourite things. There was this, there was this kid that went to my uh, my my junior school, and I kind of ended up seeing him again at sixth form. And he was a bit of a knob, and I won't name yeah, him, um, Paul O'Brien, but um, he was a bit of a knob. And I don't think he was particularly bothered about music one way or the other. But there was this kid uh, that he really wanted to be in with. Right. right, and this other kid was really into his music, and he liked bands like U2 and Simple Minds and mm-hmm. stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So, uh, in order to impress this other kid, Paul O'Brien had written on his uh, on his textbook, "You two are good, are good." <laughs> <laughs> oh, mate, we got a fellow fan here. <laughs> you, I think they're good as well. <laughs> what do you think of you two, mate? Good. Yes. Thanks. That's fucking great, though. That's cool. Uh, you two are good. <laughs> uh, REM are acceptable. <laughs> oh, I love it. Uh, because this was the first single as well, there was a video for it, and Mark Romanek directed it. So, big name uh, director for it. But big it, neck as well. Romans had Roman necks. necks. Uh, it's really quite a dull video, I think. Um, but he also directed a video for the previous song, Black Tie, White Noise, mm-hmm. which is even less going on in that. There's just some live footage or like footage in a shed, it looks like, of uh, I'll Be Sure doing his bits and, Bo- and, and David Bowie holding a saxophone throughout, just like threatening the, the entire song. And I just I think they maybe got Mark Romanek on a two for one deal. It's like, well, okay, you've done this one, but would you mind just spending another 30 minutes and do one for this as well? Thanks, mate. That'll be, that'll be fine. Get your money's worth. So I'm still laughing at I'll be sure in your accent. <laughs> I'll be sure. <laughs> Chris, put, make sure you do your shoelaces. Yeah, I'll be sure. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. No one Irish listens to this fucking podcast because of the shit I say. Either. My mum. That's about it. Yes. Yeah. Uh, hi, hey, Nora. Hello, mum. Uh, actually, just because uh, we mentioned it earlier, Oh, so about uh, Bowie's stepbrother. This song, Jump They Say, is a tribute to him. Yes. Because, uh, like I said, he was uh, diagnosed with schizophrenia and was in various hospitals and committed suicide in 1985 yeah. because he was so unwell. And this is the first time that Bowie had addressed any of that, in even talking about interviews, as far as I can tell. Yeah. And this song was for him kind of thing, saying, all right, you know, Try not to let other people influence what you think of yourself and try and keep yourself okay. Yeah. And that sort of thing. So it's a nice thing that he's done. It's it's a nice uh, sentiment and that he's able to put something like this into the ether for him. Sure. Hmm. But right, shall we do the next one then? Yeah, let's do uh, Night Flights. And this is the second cover version. And this this one, very trip hoppy, break beaty. Mm-hmm. And here we go again. It's a white line bass line again. Free bass. Yeah. Uh, this is a cover of a a Walker Brothers song, or st- it's more Scott Walker really, wrong song from 1978. So like, yeah. Uh, if you listen to the original, the original's quite disco-y. Mm-hmm. Um, and it wasn't one that I was aware of whatsoever. But you know, I mean, Scott Walker was an obvious influence on David Bowie. 
you can hear in the vocal yeah. styles that he's a big influence. And so this is kind of squaring that circle, I guess. But we doing his version of one of his influences, etc., etc. Yeah. But it's um yeah, it's interesting, man. Again, this is another one of those tracks. If you if you beefed up those drums, mm-hmm. it'd be a big old dance track, right? Yeah, there's like little kind of stab, little piercing stabs in here somewhere. I'm trying to work out what I was referring to in here. That quite like like almost like prodigy reminiscent. Oh yeah. It's that. Okay. It, it, again, it's kind of very much of a piece with the rest of the stuff that's on this record. I, this sounds different to me. Maybe it's because it's a cover version, but just simply like this chorus that's happening now is more of just a normal, in inverted commas, chorus yeah. for me, whereas the other ones, I think he is deliberately fucking with the form and doing yeah. non-traditional Th- shit. This is definitely one of the more successful tracks on the record for me. Mm-hmm. This is, you know, where I go, where I'm, I'm less like, oh, you know, I'm interested in this. I'm like, oh, yeah, there's, there's a bit of a... I still don't think it's an amazing tune. I don't think anything on here is amazing. No. Yeah, I, I think this is all right. I think this is, you know, better than some of the other ones for me, definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't understand the lyrics. You know, the dark dug up by dogs, the stitches torn and broke, the raw meat fist you choke has hit the bloodlight. What? what? Don't know. What the fuck is night... You know, glass traps open and close on night flights. Broken necks, featherweights press the walls. What? I don't understand what he's talking about, but it sounds perfectly fine. Perfectly fine. Yeah, this is probably... Because uh, I don't know the original of this in the same way that I do know Cream's "I Feel Free." Yeah, I'm I'm bringing no baggage to this. So I'm someone who loves the Scott Walker version might well go. This is shocking. This is an absolute travesty. Yeah, but that's just the nature that's of the nature. that's the yeah. nature so of cover versions. Prepare to to give it that if that is a thing. But to be honest, having listened to the the Walker Brothers Scott Walker version, it doesn't sound a million miles away. Let's be honest, you mm. know, you've got the David Bowie and Queen version of "Under Pressure" is no Ice Ice Baby. No, so. no, they ruined that. Yeah, they did. Yeah, uh, but yeah, I've got very little else to say about that one. It's all right. It's yeah, fine. me either. It's fine. Yeah, it's perfectly all right. Yeah, on what is a fairly you know mediocre record with interesting parts. It's mm-hmm. I think it's on the higher end of some of the things on this record. Sure. Uh, anyway, all right. Let's do the next track, which is called Palace Athena. Right. Uh, so this is another instrumental. Mm-hmm. And this reminds me of a couple of different things. I don't know whether you got the same references I, as I have on this one. Um, first one it reminds me of is Faith No More's Woodpeckers from Mars. Okay. With that, that the violent, uh, that string yep. thing coming in. Um, but also Lux Eterna from Requiem for a Dream, the Clint Mansell song. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah um, there's a bit, if we let this play through, where it, it starts doing this with the strings. Yeah. The Lux Eterna song, which I'll, I'll play in a second, very much reminds me of, of that. Yeah. But this is its own thing, and this is the other song that he wrote for the wedding that's made it onto the album. But this is, you know, this is almost, you know, it's, it's kind of in that that realm of soundtracky dance, isn't it? You could, yeah, sure. You could very much see this rolling over the, this you is know, David Arnold. Yeah, this is this is rolling over the end credits of nearly any film made in the nineties. Sure, and you know, if you think of what Moby was doing back then it sounds along those lines yeah yeah. because this is a straight up dance in some ways this is one of the most successful tracks on the record right but also the most one of the most redundant as well because it doesn't sound like a Bowie song 
this isn't what like, there's no need for this to be a Bowie song. Yeah, I mean, I guess I mean here with the horn. Well, this fucking saxophone. And it's like you know, I feel like it loses its way with the horn as a lot of this oh, stuff does. Absolutely, it does. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It's it's like I know what this song is. I'm like, oh, I kind of know what this is. Yeah. Where in where it, some of the other songs, I'm like, I don't really know what this is, but I'm just along for the ride, and I find this bit interesting. I find this bit sure. not as interesting. Yeah, yeah. So in a way, it's like, okay, this is successful in that. Oh, I know exactly where I am with this, but at the same time, that's kind of not what I've got out of this record. The stuff that when I've got something positive out of this record, it's oh, that's an interesting idea, or that's a weird thing, or that's a kind of okay. Like, th- those. The little jagged incongruous bits, I think, are the bits that I like about this record. Right. Um, I definitely prefer this, probably because, again, it's more of a straightforward song. I would still prefer it without, well, not song, tune. Uh, I'd prefer it without the saxophone. Yeah, see, again, I think we're in quite different places in this, because this one, it's just like, okay, it's not doing anything odd, and therefore, what, what, you what, 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 yeah, what you're left with is just something that is quite average sounding without the added bits oh. of oh, okay what you're trying to do there okay what what are we doing here what we you know the bits that mm. kind of make you stop and i do think. absolutely agree this is average sounding this is yeah. any dance act that made this i think this would have been possibly left off an album that sort of thing i don't think it's a strong song i mean i don't know if it, I don't know if it had been left off an album i think we, we it's been a while since we listened to a 90s dance very album. true actually yeah 90s dance albums with very few exceptions were Two singles and a load of shit. Yeah, true. Yeah. Uh, tell me though, I'm going to play. So here's Woodpecker from Mars, Faith in the Moor, from a couple of years previous. I used to do a juggling routine to, to this song. Did you have a hard penis at the time? No. You didn't have a Woodpecker. Ah. Yeah. Oh. Um, uh, that was beneath me. Yeah. Uh, Not your penis. Thank you. Uh, so yeah, I, I definitely hear elements of that in the Bowie song, uh, and the other one, uh, this Lux Eternit, which yeah, you might recognise. I think it's been used in other stuff, but it's you know originally Requiem for a Dream as well. Mm-hmm. But uh, that the, those little string bits. This wasn't made until like two thousand something like that. So it's possible that. He's ripping off Bowie, if at all. But I just got that. It was one of the first things I thought of when I was listening to this album, First Go. I went, that reminds me of something. What is it? And it was this sort of thing. Yeah, I mean, I I, I think it's a broad enough church that you wouldn't necessarily go that that's a... Uh, it's not a rip-off. A rip-off. No, no, you're absolutely but, right. I mean, it's also like... Did reminds you, me of. Did you listen to uh, the Westworld soundtrack, which oh, was... Oh, no, with the... Uh, the Ramen, whatever his name. What's his surname? You, oh, fuck, I can't remember what his name Nick is. Kamen. Yeah, Nick Cayman, that's yeah. him, yeah. But with all, all of the fucking odd kind of covers of like yeah, Radiohead. And, of, yeah. It's very much in that kind of wheelhouse. Gotcha. Um, nice. Yeah, all but, right. But, you know, I, you know, I don't mind it. It's all right. But it's not really that interesting to me. There's a fact, apparently, that some people thought, some, the record company, thought that Bowie's name being on this album was preventing it from getting to certain... Because he was trying to do dance music, but they, yeah. he, they thought Bowie's name was stopping people who were into dance music checking it out. Yeah. Uh, and so apparently they released this as a white label to dance clubs in the States. Yeah. And it was a hit, is what oh, okay. it says. I don't know how much truth there is to that, or whether that's one of these PR stories, but who knows? Perhaps it's true. Yeah. Well. Uh, but anyway. yeah, not, not much else. Okay, well, let's do the uh, the eighth track on this right. album. This one's called Miracle Good Night. 
Jesus Christ. What is this? This kind of reminds me a bit of an Adam Buxton track. Yes, it does. <laughs> I don't understand where they've got the keyboard sound setting for this. Didn't think that existed anymore. It sounds like, like a, a ringtone from 2004. I'll tell you what it sounds a little bit like. It's a, like a hey now, you're a rock star. You're <laughs> a go smash play, mouth. Go play. <laughs> but I really like the vocal on this. Oh, do you? I, re- I, re- I really like this vocal. Okay. This is this is this is one of my favourites on this record. Really, like, I think this is such nonsense. Oh, I, I really, right. I really like this one. This would be <laughs> this would be one of the only ones I'd pull out and be like, oh, I actually really like oh this. Oh my song. god! So if someone said, oh, I've not really listened to Black Tie White Noise before, what song would you recommend I check out? You might go. Well, tell you what, it probably probably, no, it probably be the second track on the album. Okay, for representative of the album. Sure, but I probably like this one. Fuck me, more. Well, this was the third single. Uh, only got to number forty. Ma- mainly, I like the vocal. Mainly, I like the vocal, okay. and, I quite, and I quite like the. I like the odd fucking sound in the background. It's just I kind of know it's shit, but I quite like it as well. Oh, it's, it just sounds so horrendously Casio tinny, like like a child's toy. I mean, yeah, this is vocally. This is much more of a straightforward Bowie vocal. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's just singing about. It's it's a love song. It's an absolute love song. Um, you know, lyrics. I love you in the morning sun. I love you in my dreams. I love the sound of making love. The feeling of your skin, the corner of your eyes. It's just straight down the line. You're amazing. No one likes oh, the it. sound of making love. No, God, no. Not the way I do it. Just <laughs> <laughs> a lot of screaming, <laughs> crying. Just me. Yeah. I don't fucking. Let's not let's not frame that badly. I'm oh re- God. Okay. No. No, that's you. Me, crying. Me, yes. Yeah. That, yeah. Sure, there we yeah. go. Thank you. No, but yeah. This. Oh no, I, I can't. Oh, I like this let one. Get away with this on no, this. I like this one. Right, but what do you think of um, about three minutes in? Let me see if I can skip to it. Uh, it gets to. Well, I mean, first of all, this kind of keyboard bit. You're okay with this? Yeah, I like this. Yeah, it, it's. It reminds me of like almost uh, Christmas cards when you open them. That that, that just chintzy. Uh, but then at, uh, at about three minutes, Nile Rogers comes in with a guitar solo, which is almost like a Spanish guitar style. And it's from nowhere. It's completely out of context with the rest of the song, which I, is I, not unheard of I, on this album. I, I have not made a note on it, and now oh. I'm struggling to remember it. So let's, let's, let's hear it. See, look, that's great. This is great. This is great. How do you not like this? Hawaiian hula surf. This is fucking brilliant. That's really good fun. Oh, man. No, I don't like this one. Oh, that's fun. I, I, uh, sorry, mate. I'm, I'm enjoying that one. Okay. Miracle Good Night. That's the one. Fair play. All right. Well, have you, have you got anything else on that one? We're not two thirds of the way through. Nah, just liked it. Just liked it. <laughs> just like that one. Just fine. Uh, right, right. But shall we do the singles? If we must. Well, yes, we must. I mean, that's and, the format that we decided upon. So. I know. I have a feeling this entire top ten is stuff we've seen before. Number ten, Two Unlimited, No Limit. Number nine, Capella, You Got to Know. Number eight, Jade, Don't Walk Away. Seven, Shabaranks, Mr. Loverman. Six, Robin S, Show Me Love. Five, Sybil, When I'm Good and Ready. Four, Sub Sub, Ain't No Love, Ain't No Use. Three, Shaggy, Oh Carolina. Two, Snow Informer. Yep. And one, The Bluebells, Young at Heart. So we've seen all of oh, those yeah. for the past three episodes, most yeah. of them just staying around there. Um, 
the two weeks that we have to look at, there's not a lot of good singles. Okay. I'm going to be honest with you. And this one, I don't put in a good singles category, but I put it in a category of songs that you might know. Okay. Well, this is uh, this is Come Undone by Duran Duran. Yes, it is, yeah. mate. And this yeah. is a great song. I think I know you, you're a big fan of this one, uh, so I stuck it in. It's, yeah, it got to number 13. Yeah. Um, but yeah, this is... This is, a, this is a brilliant Duran Duran song. This is... This is if you if you make a Duran Duran greatest hits, this right. is oh, really? top put, top ten. Yeah, yeah. I, wow. I, just, I think it's a brilliant song. I did see because they're playing some shows at the minute in the UK. Yeah. And I saw someone who went to it said, "Oh, it was great. They even played. Um, what is it? The message that they do a cover oh, no. of? Why are they doing that? Yeah, they it do is that, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. And apparently they're doing no, that. White, in the line, that's white lines. White lines. Yeah. Sorry, it's white lines. That's yeah. a terrible version. It's awful. Yeah. Total dog shit, but apparently it's part of their live set. Uh, you, do you know what it's not as bad as, though? 911 is a joke. Yep. Yeah. So, why would you ever? Uh, Dreadful. Uh, okay, so that's Duran Duran. Uh, this one got to number 11, and they do say the name of the song pretty quick. Um, yeah. Uh, yes, this is, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, oh. yeah. There you go. It's wind out with apology. Yeah. yeah. Yes, exactly. Uh, uh Probably still kind of putting out that real ravey yeah. sound in '93. Was this the one that had the corkscrew from Orton Towers on the cover? It was, yes, yeah, yes, yeah. absolutely, it was. Absolutely, yeah, forgot about that, but yes, that's exactly it. Uh, there's a couple that I'm not even going to play. Frank and Walters' "Fashion Crisis" hits New York, oh, number forty-two. Yeah, yeah. I remember that coming out, and it was because Sons of Ping were also releasing stuff at the same time. The enemy were like, "Oh, Ireland's the place to be for indie music." There, there was there was a moment, and whoever it was is going to be listening to this, I would imagine. But there was there was a moment on one of your live streams when you were talking about records, and I I put up, I I put in a thing. Oh, have you got any Frank and Walters in oh, what yeah. I, in what I thought was a very sarcastic <laughs> yeah. manner? And then someone that I quite like chimed in, like you know, kind of quite enthusiastically about them, and I just had to. Oh I, yeah. I, I just had to not put any follow up comments yeah, on there because I was like, oh no, I'm being a dick about something that you like. <laughs> so if, if that was he, was it possibly Graham Elms? If, if that. Oh, I think it was probably more Katie Funnel. Um, well, I can't remember who it was, but if, if, if it was you, if it was you and I was being a dick about your band, and I'm sorry, but I fucking hate the Frank and Walters. That's fair. There's another one that I put in. Uh, only got to number forty-three, but the fall. Why are people grudgeful? Right? Yeah. That was their 1993 hit. I thought maybe because fucking people love the fall, and we have said on this podcast many times before, we don't get it. Yeah. Do not get the fall. If you're a fan of the fall, I mean, I would recommend uh, the Temporary Fandoms podcast. They have done episodes on their entire discography, and it's a great listen if you're into the fall. Yeah. You know, it's really comprehensive stuff. We don't get the fall, but I listened to it again just in case I was wrong and maybe time has passed and I should be. Into it. Let's just put this on and see if it's changed your mind on the fall, right? Is this Cotton Eye Joe? <laughs> <laughs> This sounds like an EMF B-side. I don't understand it. What the fuck? Look, man, there, oh, are, I don't know. Look, there are plenty of bands that do weirder shit like that than I, than I, that I do like, you know? Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I'll listen to Melvin's albums uh, and they'll be full of tracks that sound vaguely like that. So, I, you know, see, I, mean, I think that's just... Mm, that's much more wimpy. It's, it's really schmindy. I, I've not... I've, I, 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 as I've said before, I don't, I don't know enough about the fall and no, no one has played me 
the tracks that have made me go, I really need to investigate this. Mm. Well, that's not one of them, is it? Well, I mean, it's no. I mean, yeah. that's you know, I'd be far more likely to investigate the Grids album. You're quite Jesus, the Grid. Um, I've stuck this one in. I don't know if you'll know it, but you might be able to guess who it is by the sound of it. Um, Got to number 53. Well, it's, it sounds like a lot of things. It sounds, it sounds mm. like Oingo Boingo, mainly. Oh, yes, very true, but, but it's, uh, 1993. Oh, I do know what this is. I mean, there's definitely going to be some of our regular listeners who are like, oh, this is absolutely these guys oh fuck it's called Icelander if that helps yeah uh, oh is it fucking Living Colour yes it is it is Living Colour yeah I don't know that song at all because I wasn't into them but straight away you hear that and you go oh yeah that sounds like what I assume a lot of Living Colour songs sound like yeah Uh, so that's got number 53 Uh, Hole released Beautiful Sun but it's not on Spotify so I'm not going to play it this was one this one got to number 19 See if you remember this. You, you'll definitely know the song. I'm pretty sure. Give it a second. No, it's not. It's not the REM song that I'm thinking. All right, no. Um. I have fucking heard this, but I couldn't tell you who it is. No. It's like, it's like it's not the Lemonheads, but it's no. it's one of those. But Counting Crows are one of those bands. If if I said, uh, Wanna dies. If I said it's called, is it like today? Does that help? Nah. No. No. But you def- you recognise it, don't you? I've heard this. I, yeah, I, but I mean, I've I've heard it, or I've heard a lot of songs that sound very much like it. Oh yeah, I mean it's almost Tom Petty esque as well. That yeah. Sort of thing. Uh, it's the World Party. Oh, there yeah. you go. Yeah, yeah. World, world, world Party again. One of those yeah. bands that probably just hit their beat because they probably hit their beat late night late 80s yeah, early I think so, night. Yeah. like just kind of Carl, missed whatever his name is. missed that point where they were an essential band that you should be listening to mm. where they'd have done that initial pickup of fans right sure and then every you know yeah and you follow it through yeah yeah um the last one i'm going to play and i cannot imagine you'll know this jesus I mean, you'll know the band obviously Uh, this got to number 32. Hang on, pause this a second. Oh. You thinking already you might get it? Yeah, oh, it's very familiar. Ooh. Because it's not one I've heard of by this band, but... Uh, can keep playing? Lately, I can tell that something ain't right. I don't see the fire when I look in your eyes. Okay. Yeah. Hey, Chris Green's going to know this straight away. This, um, this is, um, I fucking do know this song. Oh, man. All right. Yeah, I didn't know this was a, a known one whatsoever. Eyes. No, I just know. Um, oh, fuck, what's this song called? Um, Next time down, this may be the last time that you'll see me around. Yeah, I mean, this is one of the bands that uh, didn't survive post-Nirvana. Yeah, I 
I mean, having said that, they're probably still playing, but... Is it Poison? Yeah, it is. Yeah, it's Poison. And it's... Uh, yes, yes, yes. And, right, and I'm... Um, no, you're not going to get what's it. The, what's the song called, Dave? Oh, it's called Until You Suffer Some, brackets Fire and Ice. Fire and Ice. Is that how you know it, Fire and Ice? The, but I, no, I would have ne- never got there, but I've heard that song a lot of times. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. I see. What album's it on? Uh, it is on... Look what the cat dragged in. Native Tongue. Native Tongue. Now, I've heard that album. Some, someone I knew had that record, I so I've heard that. Okay. Yeah, but, um, I wouldn't have ever got to the song title. Fine, fine. Uh, the only other single I've got on here isn't on Spotify, and I don't. I couldn't even really find it on YouTube. Um, JC001, a song called Never Again. Yeah. And I bought that at the time because it was reviewed in the enemy as he was the fastest Just rapper. rapper. Yeah, yeah. I, I remember there was a, a whole thing about who's faster, JC001 or Silver Bullet. Right, yeah. yeah it was one of those ones. And I quite like this Never Again song. It samples Ghost Town. It's got a catchy little bit, but it's total fluff. Yeah. You know, and he never really did anything ever again. Oh, well, that's because that's he did what he did too quickly and then had to rest. That was done, yeah. He'll be back soon. <laughs> 2021. Yeah, fucking featuring on time a, for the comeback. Yeah, a, a duet with Twister. Oh God, yeah. But that's all I have singles-wise. That's really not a good week. Yeah, that's for any that, of this. this is this is really. Um, not... So sorry, everyone. Yeah, this is this is this is a vintage. The Frank and in the This fall. is a vintage week in the same <laughs> way that the, the closing of vintage Brighton shop are. Do you no, know what yeah. I mean? And they're just old, mate. That's yeah. just a shell suit, bruv. Anyway, uh, let's do the fucking back end of this okay, record. Last bit. Okay, this one is called Don't Let Me Down and Down. Well, this is straight out of the 80s. First line of my notes. This is straight out of the 80s. Nice. (laughs) The drums and the synths. This is a Phil Collins song from 1987, surely. And in complete contrast to the last song, Mm -hmm. which I mainly liked because I enjoyed the vocals so much. Uh Uh-huh. Right? Yep. I was prepared to overlook everything else about it. This one... The, the vocal is straight oh, it, up annoying. I thought it sounds kind of stilted and weird. I don't know what he's trying to do. I've put, is he doing a Welsh accent? Oh, oh, that would be brilliant. I wish he did the whole album just as a Welshman. Yeah, it's a strange one. It's, it, al- it's almost like the um, kind of laughing gnome, the, the, or not laugh, uh, Little Drummer Boy. I mean, let's face it. Look, if you've ever nursery rhyme. if you've ever seen the film The Prestige, you will know that Bowie is not known for his accents. No. I bless mean that. Him. I mean, bless him. I love. I, I love. I really like that film. But the the time that he's on free, on screen as as uh, Tesla, yeah. is almost unwatchable. Because, <laughs> I mean, I would say that is one of the two most jarring accents I've ever heard in a film. Okay. Well, uh, well my, certainly my top three jarring accents in a film. Uh-huh. Right? And, of, and number three isn't that jarring because it's so synonymous with the role and I saw it at such a young age right which is Dick Van Dyke's London oh, accent oh for sure yeah. accent, okay. right? but then the second one is Don Cheadle in Ocean's Eleven oh, oh the, the Cockney oh my god boy. so bad terrible so so bad yeah uh, and Richard Gere in the remake of The Jackal as well he's trying to do Irish oh I don't think I've seen oh, that shit yeah. bad yeah. accent I mean yeah I mean Bad Irish accents are. I mean, like, oh, you, they're fucking did, all over the place. I, did, did you ever see that season of uh, Sons of Anarchy where they went to Ireland? Oh, jeez, don't, I, I, do not talk to me about I, that. I had, I had to stop watching it. <laughs> I literally stopped watching the show because I just couldn't do it anymore. Yeah, yeah, no, that was just embarrassing for everyone involved. I'm pretty sure. This song, it's been going on, and here's a bit more horn. See, this what I've written. This is fucking dismal. It's, 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 a, it's an example of. 
what a fine balance the stuff that I like on this record is. Because right. everything in this, it's not, it's like nothing is that dissimilar to anything else in the rest of this record. But oh, no, this is very different, I think. This is, there's nothing to this. It's just a 1986 ballad. Uh, but I think a lot of the stuff in the middle of the mix, like the kind of the horns well, and, horn, the, suppose, and, yeah. and the bits and stuff, it's not that far. Yeah, fair enough. You haven't got like kind of as many of the electronic elements and the beat and stuff mm. in there. But I just find this straight up dislikable. And again, right. I think a big part of it is it leans quite heavily into jazz. It does. It does. It sounds like it should be in a wine bar. It sounds like it should be in a fucking prison. Skip. Yeah. yeah but rubbish, I, this one. Absolute I, rubbish. I see. I I don't like this, but I do think that if the album had more songs like this on it, I'd probably like it more. Oh, no. Yeah. No, this no, doesn't no, 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 annoy no. me in the way that some of the others do. Ah, uh, see, no, this, this, yeah. this just feels a bit fucking mundane and bereft oh, it's, of it's, ideas. it's very mundane, definitely. Um, yes, yeah, so it, it sounds far too, like, kind of self-importantly grown up. Yeah, for sure. So let's... Uh, let's uh, Number uh, 10. Yeah, looking for Leicester. Uh, you want the uh, the M62, mate? I don't know. I've no idea what well, road hey. it's on. I've no idea what road the Leicester's on. I was going to say, it's like a companion piece to Hue and Cries looking out for Linda. Hey. In Leicester. In Leicester. Looking for Linda in Leicester. So, so again, this is big late 80s house break. Yeah. Too many horns. This is a jazz odyssey. There's, yeah, I've said this is like elements of a 90s dance tune thrown together with a saxophone cherry on top and it's just all over it oozing everywhere throughout the song yeah, I've, I've just this, this is a horrible this is, this is this is muso wankery 101 I, I bet that Jules Holland loves this nah right well, the thing is I, I wanted to know because again right this is the longest song on the album it fucking certainly feels like it this is five and a half minutes no need for that it's another instrumental and I have no idea yeah, who he thinks this is for. Obviously, it's for him. We've established that. That's mm. what he's doing. But no one who's into dance music is going to like this. And I would assume no one who's into jazz music is going to like it. Mm. This is in the middle of nowhere for me. It's just utter shit. Yeah, let's let's spend one more time with this. I don't like this Fine, one. fine. Looking for Lester. Uh, so next, one, next one is called I Know It's Gonna Happen Someday. Right, yep. Whoa. That is a big vocal. Drama. Yes. And I have a very uh, strong uh, comparison to another song for this one. Okay. Um, Tepeche Mode's Condemnation, which we, uh, which we did ver- what, recently. Oh, yeah, but, like, I mean, I, I, I don't mind this track, but it's in no way n- anywhere near as successful as Condemnation. Oh, but but the, if, you, if you listen to... What they're doing here. Oh, I understand but, with the, with a vocal behind it. Yeah. Yeah. Let's. I've got condemnation here. Let's chuck a bit of that on. So again, big slow drum beat, and the real the gospel choir in the background, and both of them singing to the rooftops. Massive vocal. I, I see a lot of comparison between. No, no, the two. I, I, yeah, yeah, undoubtedly, and I, I hadn't, I hadn't kind of spotted that, but you're completely right. Mm. And I'll tell you one of the reasons I don't think I'd spotted it because I'm very obsessed with. Put the original back on a sec. Uh huh. There's, there's a moment in this I'm, that I'm obsessed with. Sweet. 
<laughs> I see. <laughs> How much does that sound like Krusty the Clown laughing? Let's let's just juxtapose that with Krusty the Clown. Let's just. All right, yeah. And, and then let's hear the original again. <laughs> <laughs> Stupid murders, my god. Uh, fair enough. I, I like the comparison. Yeah, look, there's a big, big bluesy solo that takes place in this. Um, yep. look, this song is not changing the world. Uh, it's not pleasant, but it, it, it's, it's pleasant enough. I actually re- like this one. Yeah, I do. Uh, you've kind of, you've almost damned it for me a little bit by comparing it to Condemnation. Oh, I see, okay. Because you love Condemnation. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But the, I mean, he really does start fucking banging it out towards the end as well oh god yeah uh, and uh, this is pure preacher uh, I've, I've put a little note here underlined it very few intrusive horns right yeah indeed <laughs> when you, you can judge something by its lack of shit horns yeah yeah yeah, yeah. So, it sounds like a dinosaur review <laughs> <laughs> yeah i actually do really like that and it's, i think that's probably my favorite non-instrumental track on here oh, okay fair uh, enough. i think that's really nice but it's a very different thing. It's an mm-hmm. entirely different sound to everything else that has come before. Sure, it very yeah. much is. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Okay. So and then so we're on to the last track of the album, right? Yep. Which is called the wedding song, which is essentially a reprise of track number one, mm-hmm. but this one's got uh, a vocal on it, which is, uh, I guess, quite a different way of doing it. There we are. And yeah. yeah. Fine. Free bass. Still prefer this than the fucking Duran Duran version. God, yeah. Look, I'm not sure that the vocals add an enormous amount to this song. Right. In fact, I think they possibly detract from it. There's some very weird kind of almost Disney-esque backing vocals. Okay, sure. In the in the in like kind of choral. See if you agree with me when I say Disney-esque, if you know what I mean. All right. Well, yeah. Let's let's uh, skip through a wee bit then. Yeah, they just, they just sound like really odd and clean and Disney princess to me. Right. Well, maybe that's just me being... Maybe I'm, I'm at the end of an album that I've mm. had some fun with but have kind of lost patience with at this point. Sure. Uh, yeah, this one does reek of... Oh, fuck it. We should, probably should put 12 tracks on this. Let's mm. do something else with one of... the Track one, let's do something else yeah. with it. Yeah. Uh, I wasn't that into the original track one and he's not making me enjoy it more. In that one, yeah, odd way to end the album. Yeah, um, but you know, I mean, I, I guess, I guess there's some. Well, it's it's bookended by yeah. wedding bits. It's a it's a song about his wedding. Okay, so let's uh, before we uh, before we do our wrap up, let's uh, dig into Twitter. We we put this out to see uh-huh. what people had to say about. Yeah, we had a, a few people. I didn't know if anybody would even remember this. Well, I'm I actually, mean, to be honest, a lot of people saying don't really remember this. <laughs> but, look, I mean, a few people. You know, the, the, the thing is, like, when when you're dealing with an artist like Barry, the type of people that listen to our podcast are always going to have some True. opinions yeah. on it. We mentioned them earlier on, but uh, temporary fandoms also have uh, a series of their podcast on the Bowie discography, and they did cover this era. They covered this album as well. Um, I had a, a listen to that because they point they've linked it up on uh, our Twitter feed. 
people are generally going, this is not his best effort on that. So, no, no fair enough. Yeah, our good friend John Myers sent us a very, very long message. A screed. About this, basically. He's a, a Bowie obsessive. Mm-hmm. He's gone back and re-evaluated this one. He sees some merit in it, basically. I'm, I'm paraphrasing. Yes. Oh, yeah. He sees some merit in it. Certainly more upbeat about it than you are, Christo. He certainly is. Uh, but uh, he uh, has, he, you know, like you say, he's a fucking massive fan. Yeah. And so he's going into it with a lot more goodwill than either of us, even you being yeah. a fan. I broadly think he makes some good points there. I think I can mm-hmm. broadly agree with where Indeed. he is in it. Uh, John in Leeds, one corking track. He doesn't specify which. No. Uh, couldn't be bothered with the rest. Early 90s drums haven't aged well at all, which is fair. 80s Lindrum still sounds okay. Early 90s production is hard to go back to, even if half the songs are decent. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, uh, Mike the Trail uh, from Pier Road Coffee and Art. Uh, he's said that Jump They Say was a great single. Yeah. Uh, and he likes the title track. As a, not his best, but... As has Ben Collins, his his comment is Jump, Jump They, they say, say was good. Right. Yeah, you two are good. David Burgess, Jump They Say promised a lot when released a single. On listening to the rest of it, it's average after average. Not awful, mm. not good. Revisited recently, can't imagine listening to it again. Right, yeah. Uh, uh, Andy B asked us a question uh, whether Jack Dangers uh, of Meet Me's Manifesto was involved with it. You kind of look and you said it was just a remix. Yeah, he did a remix of one of the, the songs on there. He didn't produce like the whole album or anything like that. Yeah. But yeah, he was involved. Also, massive thanks to uh, to Andy B. He oh, asked man. us he asked us about making a donation. Uh, we gave him and the link, did, and so. he did. So that's really we... sweet, Andy. Thank Cheers. you so much, man. Thank you so much, man. If you do want to make a donation, you can uh, go to paypal.me uh, forward slash Krista Greer and make a donation. Yeah, I mean, on that uh, point, we should also say thank you so much to a listener who we don't know. That's like that's a surprise. We don't know lots of our listeners. A guy called Walker Tate, who I we, we kind of are thinking is from the States, and this was because of the Monster Magnet episode, but he sent us some money, really sweet of you, man, uh, and his message was, it took me a while since my PayPal was still tied to my dorm phone number from 18 years ago, and I didn't want to bother with my wife with, these guys did a good job reviewing the fourth best album by one of those bands that only me and my loser friends have heard of, and they did a good job, so I wanted to give them some money. So anyway, cheers. <laughs> Thank you very much, dude. Really appreciate that. And in terms of fucking messages, mate, uh, we had such a nice email from a guy from Belgium called Andres. Andres? Yeah. I don't know how I pronounce it, if I'm totally honest. He sent us this massive email a, a while back, and I'm sorry we haven't got back to you, man, but thank you so much for everything you said. It's great that you're enjoying what we do, you know? Really cool. Yeah, thank you ever so much for getting in, t- in touch. It really, you know, it does mean an, a lot to us, bizarrely. It genuinely, genuinely I, does. I, I know that's, that, that's such a wanky thing that people say, it, and whenever people say it on podcasts I'm listening to, mm. I must, the cynic in me goes, oh, does it though? But actually, seems as when we started doing this, and we do it on fuck all budget yep. for fuck all money uh, in our spare time, we d- genuinely, we started making this, we thought 10 people that we knew would listen to it yeah. for five episodes and then get bored. So when people that that have found it and do get in contact. This is a little kind of cottage industry. Mm. Um, and so, you know, never feel afraid. It actually, you know, it's, it's great to know that people listen to it and actually got something out of it because I, you know, genuinely think it's just the rantings of two cunts. Well, quite. Yeah, but maybe that's what people are want. Sorry, Waffles, three cunts. <laughs> um, anyway, look. So, yeah, um, thank you for everyone for, for all of that. It was really nice. Overall, mm-hmm. I find it an interesting record rather than a great or even good one. Right. I will possibly go back to it. Really? Uh, from okay. the perspective right. of 
there are very few albums that aren't purely instrumental albums that I can get on and do something with in the background. And this, I think, falls in that category. Okay. So I certainly will go back and see if it gives me anything else. I've got a feeling I may end up going the other way on it. Oh, really? Back at the other side? Yeah, Mm. I'm not sure. But certainly I found it interesting enough. I didn't mind spending my time with it. But at the same time, if you ask me what the highlights of it are, there's nothing on this record as an individual track that I would put higher than about a six and a half. Not at all. No. no, um, no. So, you know, it's certainly a compressed enjoyment that I got from it. Yeah, I didn't enjoy this at all. I thought this was a bad album. I thought it was a very strange idea to start with. And then I thought it was executed badly. Okay. Yeah. And I, 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 I present no counter argument. For me, uh, I, I think this is a curiosity in yeah. uh, than, than like a notable Pantheon entry. Oh, and it's a curiosity in an absolute career of curiosities. You know, fair enough, you've got that early period where it's wall-to-wall. Oh, classics. It's just, you know, big, big albums where everyone says he was on fire. He couldn't go wrong. But then he does try other shit. And he did Tin Machine, and he did Earthling, and he tried various bits. Fucking fair play to him. That's never going to be 100% success. Well done for having a go, but... I think this is a misfire. But anyway, let's yeah. let's uh, let, we've got to pick a track. We do. I mean, it's going to be one. Oh, I, I agree on that. We're we're not going to get any. I don't think we're going to agree on a track. We're definitely not going to agree on more than one. Oh, certainly not. Oh, no. So, so uh, give me what would be your number one? My number one would probably be uh, the "I Know It's Going to Happen Someday," uh, that big ballady one. Um, I would also go for. Palace Athena, I quite like that. I'll be honest with you, I think I know it's going to happen someday is going to be the closest we're going to get. Knowing how right. you, the, the 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 two that I would choose, I don't think you liked at all. They were uh, the second uh, well, uh, the second track and the, the you've been around, uh, yeah, and Miracle Goodnight, yeah, yeah. Th- those are two I like best. Yeah, I mean, I really didn't like Miracle Goodnight. I thought that you've been around was. All right, but I didn't enjoy it. Yeah, fuck it. Do that. If you, if you if you if you care about this album, listen to it. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, anyway, uh, we'll try and be back. I'm mean, fucking. What, what, what we got next, Chris? Jesus Christ. Well, you know, this year has it's not been the strongest of years. It's had some some high points for sure. You know, the Depeche Mode album's dead good. That uh, we did uh, the Suede album. I really enjoyed. E17 was a lot of fun. But next time we're back with Cliff Richard. And normally you'd go, what, Cliff Richard? And it's just called Cliff Richard, the album. And I assumed whenever I was going through first time, oh, that'll be a compilation. We can ignore that. No. We cannot. It is an actual original album. Cliff Richard, the album. So, yeah, that's, that's going to happen. Can you can you imagine that? That's like fucking AIDS, the pick and mix. <laughs> I'd rather take my chances with the, the AIDS figure mix. Mate, yeah. honestly, if you said, I've got this AIDS and pick a mix, or I've got this Cliff Richard album. <laughs> so, yeah, that's what we're doing next. Uh, I hope that you're looking forward to it as much as we are. Well, look, dudes, thank you so much, for as always, for joining us. We'll be back next time with what I can only describe as an awful act of self-flagellation. Yeah. Uh, uh, from me and Krista Greer and Wolf's the Dog, uh, see you later. See you guys. Bye. <laughs> Thank you for checking out this episode of Pop Collaborate and Listen. It was produced and edited by us, for which we can only apologise. We are on Twitter, at PCL Podcast, on Instagram, also at PCL Podcast, and Facebook.com slash PCL Podcast. 
All of these, plus links to our various Spotify playlists, etc., are on our website, which is pclpodcast.com. Please feel free to get in contact via any of the social media or on pclmusicpodcast at gmail.com. 